There's a 20th century theologian named Elton Trueblood who once told the story of a guy who had this crazy idea to walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow with a guy in it. That seems fun. This guy, uh, he, he set up a practice uh, thing in his backyard to, you know, just keep practicing it over and over and got to the point where he'd use a balance beam and could make it easily. So he got rid of the balance beam and worked on it without it and started to make that pretty easily. And so then he added the wheelbarrow and worked on that until he got there. And eventually, after a long and arduous hard work over the course of a few weeks, the wire walker, he got very good. And at last, the day had, had approached, had, had come for him to actually do this stunt. And there were neighbors, there were people from the press that had come to watch this guy. I don't don't know if they are excited to watch him win or fail. I don't know, but it seems exciting any which way you go. But they had come there, and so he's looking out across and kind of nervously looking across, and uh, he's got a friend next to him, and he says, Joe, do do you believe that I can do this? And his friend's like, absolutely, I, I believe that you can. And he looked out over the falls one more time and says, Joe, do you really believe? He says, I really believe you can. He says, fine, you're my man, get in the wheelbarrow. Now, would you have enough faith in somebody to jump in a wheelbarrow on a tightrope as they push you across Niagara Falls? whole lot easier to say that you believe something when you're standing on the ground. <laughs> rather than jumping in and putting your life into somebody else's hands to go across. This week, we're beginning a new sermon series that's all about faith. Really, I mean, that's what we called it. It's all about faith, really. Faith is vitally important to the Christian life. We're going to spend the next two months looking very closely at this subject. Did you know that we exercise faith every day? I mean, you did this morning when you drove here and you were exercising faith in those other people as they were passing you on the road, that they weren't going to cross the lines or stop at the stop signs and everything. Or right now, you are exercising faith that those chairs are solid and are going to hold you up. You probably didn't even think about that when you sat down in these nice comfy chairs this morning. You probably didn't even think about, I wonder if this is going to hold me up today. I mean, I did, but then I knew that this, I was going to ask this question, so I'm kind of cheating. I mean, I've seen it uh, happen where this faith, somebody's faith was tested because the chair that they were sitting in broke. Uh, we held a wedding here a number of years ago, outdoor wedding. We used, uh, when we had our tent out between uh, this building and the children's ministry building, and we used uh, the folding chairs that are in the foyer, those nice padded chairs, but they weren't quite enough, so we grabbed some more folding chairs that we have in the uh, barn out there, and those are older folding chairs. They have no padding on them. They're stamped with that lovely stamped property of Maple Grove Christian Church. Don't steal our chairs. You know, we put them in, we put them in the back rows just in case. Well, a little bit into the service, some poor man, I don't know who he was, there was a loud crash and he had gone through the chair because he had put his faith into that chair and that chair failed him. <laughs> Now, he was fine. He was able to get into another chair, but I think he probably thought about it a little bit before he did. And I think we may still have those chairs, but we sure don't use them for anything anymore. 
Today, as we introduce this series, we're going to be looking at what biblical faith looks like. And so in order to do this, we need to go to what I think is probably the best passage on faith in the Bible, and that's in Hebrews chapters uh, 10 and 11. And while we're not sure who the author of Hebrews is, we do have a pretty good idea that they were writing in order to provide teaching to Jewish Christians. And if you read this letter, it, it sounds very much like a sermon. And so there are a lot of people who believe, and I'm kind of one of them because I've read this letter out loud and I just get to my preaching voice when that happens. Um, and, and it just sounds like a sermon that was being circulated and, and, and written down and circulated to different uh, Jewish Christian communities. Regardless, uh, the letter provides us with a great definition, some wonderful examples, and an answer to the question why in relation to faith. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, because that's where we're going to begin this morning. Hebrews 10, verse 36. The author writes, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteousness, or but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Before this passage, the author had been speaking to his readers about not deliberately continuing in a life of sin, especially after they've become followers of Jesus. He knows that this path is not sustainable and one that they need to move away from. In order to do this, they must persevere. Persevere in the face of temptations and trials that sin brings. And they're able to do this because of their faith in God. And then in Hebrews 11.1, 1, he defines faith as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. First, you can see that faith is, it's more than simply having a blind belief in something. It's having confidence. It's having assurance. We have confidence in what we hope for. What is it we hope for? Well, for believers, for Christians, our hope is in the saving grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' death on the cross, we are able to be reconciled with God in order to be with him for eternity in his kingdom. This phrase can also mean that we have confidence in the realization of a plan. Now, not only do we have confidence in our hope in Jesus, but we also have assurance for what we do not see. This is where faith gets a little bit difficult for people who aren't believers. This is where we want, they, they want to be able to see everything, to touch it, feel it, understand it, whereas believers, we have to be okay kind of not knowing everything, but having the assurance about something that we, that we can't see. Our God is an invisible God. He's like the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you really don't see wind itself, and the same is true of God. You can see the effects of God through his work, his creation, but you don't see God himself physically, but we have assurance in, in what we don't see. This assurance comes through some other means. To highlight a couple of those, for one, human beings, we seem to have this innate sense that something is not right about this world. 
For Christians, it's what we call sin and humans having a sinful nature. We know that the world isn't the way that it could be. It's not the way that it should be. And so we, we know that there's something better, and we're seeking to improve it. I mean, even non-believers believe that. They think that they're here for a reason still, or that there's a better way of doing things. Now, another way we come to this assurance is through Scripture. The Bible is God's direct revelation to us, and it's been amazingly preserved for thousands of years. I mean, it really is amazing the difference between the oldest and the most recent manuscripts that we've discovered over time. Like, the differences between those is minuscule. If you look at the New Testament, um, we have over 23,000 known copies of manuscripts, ancient manuscripts. The earliest dates to around A.D. 130, which puts it about 80 years after the earliest books and letters of the New Testament would have been written. That's really close when you're talking about ancient documents. The next closest to that is Homer's Iliad, and the earliest manuscript copies we have of that are about 400 years after it was written. Caesar's Gallic Wars, which I think is the next closest after the Iliad, is 900 years after it was written. And there are far fewer copies of these. The Iliad has about 1,700. The Gallic Wars, about 250. The New Testament has 23,000 plus The closer we get to when they were written, the more copies we have, the more certain that we can be that the New Testament has been transmitted to us, that the one that we have, the one that we're reading, is the same as what was originally written 2,000 years ago. The Old Testament is remarkable, too, and it's remarkable in the differences between the oldest copies of manuscripts that we have and, and the newest The oldest are from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You may have heard of those. The newest are what's called the Masoretic Text. There's about a thousand-year difference in between these two scrolls, in between these copies of manuscripts. And there is, if you think about that, a thousand years, hand-copied over that time, you would think that there would be probably quite a few differences in there. 5% is different in all of that. And none of it affects the actual teaching, the, the, what it talks about. It's little things. Thousand years and only a 5% difference. That's pretty amazing, I think. That's a couple of ways that we look at the reliability of what's been printed in our scriptures. And it helps us to have that information. It helps us to be more confident in what we have. And the other thing is, just read Scripture. I mean, the Bible is one story, a very cohesive story told over the course of thousands of years, written over the course of thousands of years. And it really is a unified, cohesive story throughout. The story of God's relationship with his creation, his people, the split between the two, and it all points to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's only a small snippet of why we can trust in things that we can't see. It's not a blind belief, but there is confidence in the hope that we have. We have assurance in what we don't see. That's what the Hebrews writer describes as faith. He gives us, um, he, he then moves on to give us some examples of this. Basically going through a history of the most faithful people in the Old Testament. And again, I want to start in verse one of chapter 11, where he says, now faith 
is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. The author starts by giving us examples of Old Testament heroes from Genesis 1 through 11. But he doesn't just start there. He actually starts in chapter 1, and that's the faith that we know that God created the universe by creating something out of nothing. And then we look at the faith of Abel, Adam and Eve's son, who was killed. But before he was killed, he was he brought God a pleasing offering, the best of his livestock. Then the author mentions a, a guy named Enoch, which is fascinating because Enoch is found in a genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. And there's no story around Enoch like there is for um, Abel or Noah. It's just part of this genealogy. And I know some of us may have even overlooked Enoch before because you get to a genealogy in Scripture and you're just like, okay, I don't need to read all of this. It's just a whole bunch of people of he begat who, who begat who, who begat who, right? So you just kind of look over it. But Enoch is um, really kind of, I mean, he stands out for a couple of reasons. One, it says that he lived 365 years which, I mean, really isn't that long in that genealogy because it's actually the shortest amount. Um, everybody else lived a lot longer time. But it says that he lived 365 years, he walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. And like the writers of Hebrews said, Enoch did not experience death because God had taken him away. And as far as I can think of, he's one of two people in the entire scriptures, really in all of history, who have not experienced death. The only other one I can think of off the top of my head is Elijah, because he was taken off in a chariot of fire, which seems like a really cool way to go home to God. <laughs> but, but I can't think of anybody else. Everyone in history has experienced death, even Jesus. It's such a small little snippet in a genealogy, and yet, the author of Hebrews uses him as an example of faith because he walked with God. And he had to walk with God in such an extraordinary way that God just took him home. The last person in this example is Noah and the faith that he had when God told him to build an ark, he did. You would need a lot of faith to build that boat. I mean, especially after knowing the dimensions, you know, God tells you the dimensions, you're like, wait, are you sure? Are you, like, if you've ever had the chance to go to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, um, you see, like, they built that thing to scale per the dimensions that are found in Scripture, and that boat is massive. 
I don't think it would actually float because there's a building attached to it too, but, but it's massive. You look at the size of it and you marvel at it. But Noah had faith and he built the ark and he saved his family from the flood. Now, I want to look at a few more of these, and we're going to skip down to verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Now, who says the Old Testament's boring? All of this comes from the Old Testament. It's such a good book many books. We skipped ahead through most of Genesis with Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, as well as the Exodus and Moses and the people of Israel passing through the Red Sea that he mentions in the verses that we didn't talk about. Then we go to the book of Joshua and we see Jericho. and What an act of faith conquering Jericho is because what did God tell them to do? He told them to march around the city for seven straight days, once or once a day, I think, until the seventh day. And then they march around seven days don't fight, don't talk, don't do nothing. Then they get to the end and he's like, okay, well, all I want you to do is I want you to turn to the walls, yell, and blow a horn. And what happened? The walls came tumbling down. And then he mentions Rahab and her faith. And again, that's an amazing thing because she's a woman and, and that would not have been something people would have used for proof in the first century. And yet she makes this list. And then you can he- kind of hear in the next section how this can be a sermon, right? Like, I don't even have time to get into all the other names. And he lists Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all of these prophets and, and listing what they went through, what they did because of their faith. And when I look at this list, I'm encouraged because I've read the stories about these people. Gideon, who's hailed as a hero of the faith, was the one who kept testing God to make sure that God was actually God. Barak, he was supposed to lead his troops to fight, and yet he didn't. He wouldn't go without Deborah. Samson, think about Samson. Samson doesn't really seem like that great a person when you read through his story. And yet he's still on this list as being faithful. And that's the important thing. Like, none of these people are perfect on this list. But they had faith. And they had faith in the one who is perfect. They trusted God and his plan. And then as the author of Hebrews says in verse 39, they were all commended for their faith. 
yet none of them received what they had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They were all commended for their faith, but they didn't get to see the outcome of it, of their promises, because they didn't live to see that plan that God put in place come together. They didn't live to see the Messiah, the promised king, go to a cross to atone, to cover all of humanity's sins. They didn't live to see the resurrection of Jesus, but they trusted God and they had a commendable faith. They were the models that the Hebrew of uh, the writer of Hebrews pointed his readers to, and he's still pointing us to them today. They're a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses of faith. What do we do with their example? Well, we run a race. We run the race. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Remember, he's writing to these uh, readers of his and calling them to persevere, to not fall back into their sinful ways. And we're to do that with our faith, the faith that Jesus gives us. He is the pioneer. Otherwise, um, it's translated also as author in other translations. He's the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Without him, what do we have? He is our goal. He is the finish line of this marathon of life that we're running. Throw off everything that hinders you from reaching that goal. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Lighten your load as much as you can to run that race well. And keep your sights fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him alone. We have faith in him because he is faithful. He went to the cross for you and for me, not out of duty, but for the joy that was set before him. He had opposition. He had people who didn't like him. They mocked him. They executed him. And yet he endured. And you can endure too. You can endure anything that life throws at you by fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. He will build you up. Hudson Taylor, who's a famous missionary to China, when he first went there, he, he went and, and sailed there on a ship. And as they were going, uh, they kind of lost the wind, and they were coming close to this island. But this island was inhabited by cannibals. And so they're drifting toward this island, probably a little bit fearful. The cannibals are seeing the ship drift to this island. They're thinking, dinner. Store <laughs> dash coming. The captain... He comes to Hudson Taylor, and he asks him to pray for the help of God. And Taylor responded, he said, I will, provided you set your sails to catch the breeze. And the captain, well, he didn't want to do that because that's not something that you do when you don't have a breeze, and he doesn't want to look bad in front of all of his people that are under him, in front of his crew. So he says he's, he's not going to do that. 
And Taylor said, look, I'm not going to undertake to pray for the vessel unless you prepare the sails. And so the captain relented, and Andy did. And so Hudson Taylor prayed, and while he was praying, there was another knock at his door. And it was the captain, and he says, are you still praying for wind? Yes. Well, you'd better stop praying, for we have more wind than we can manage. Is your faith such that your sails can be set even when everything is dead calm with no wind? That you're ready to go at the moment's notice? Do you trust God that he's going to lead you and has his best for you? Learn from the examples of faith in the Old Testament. Noah built an ark that seemed impossible. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and then walked across a city or walked around a city in order to conquer it. Spoke about many of these heroes. One we did not talk about is Abraham, who Romans calls him, uh, Paul calls in Romans, uh, father, our father in faith. Now, I didn't mention him because this is what we're going to focus on for the next two months. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. We're going to be from like chapters 12 through 26, I think, for the next eight weeks or so. We're going to focus on Abraham's story of faith and stories surrounding him for that time. And we're going to see highs. We're also going to see some lows in his faith. But we're going to see why Hebrews' longest section in this Heroes of the Faith is dedicated to Abraham. And again, I hope your sails are set. I hope you're ready to catch the wind of God. And I hope you have your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you pray with me as we close out? Heavenly Father, Lord, if there's one thing that we can always use more of, it is faith. We have faith because of what you've done for us in Jesus, that he loved us so much that he went to a cross to die for us. No greater love than that. We have faith in you, Lord. We see the examples of all of these people in history, and, and we see their amazing faith that they had. And it truly is amazing some of the things that they were asked to do. Lord, help us to be like them. Help us to lean in. And like Jesse and Holly said earlier, just to say yes to you. Have our sails set. Even when things don't seem ready to go, let's always be ready. Ready to catch your wind, Lord. Father, we thank you for this time that we're able to come together. We thank you for this, this time that we can worship you through song and prayer and your word. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen.